0: Hi, this is Diane. And this is Denise of the History Goes Bump podcast. I have haunted vision, I think. You see dead people? Well, no, but I hear dead
1: things like ghosts, legends, and other creepy stuff. Right here on Haunted Visions.
0: With Brandy and Rachel. Hello,
1: everyone. And welcome to a brand new episode of the Haunted Visions podcast. We are dedicated to stories of the paranormal, spine-chilling history, and adventures into the darkness of the unknown. So grab a flashlight, lock your doors, curl up under your blankets, and prepare to be scared.
2: Hi everyone and welcome to episode 16 of the Haunted Visions Podcast. My name is Brandy. With me, at always, is Rachel.
1: Hi, everybody. This is Rachel, coming to you live. All you sexy people out there from the Lebanon Studios.
2: God, what's wrong with you?
1: Anyway. (laughs) So, uh, today we are
2: going to talk about Sir Victor Goddard's mysterious flight into the future.
1: Dun, dun, dun!
2: Rachel is slightly wound up today, and I'm not sure why. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and let her get right into it. So, Rachel, tell us a little bit about uh, Victor.
1: I w- almost said Sir Walter Raleigh, but it's Sir Victor Goddard. So I need to I need to rewind in my mind. Anyway, thank you, Jason Dykes, for looking up this story and presenting it to us. It's very fascinating. We appreciate you being a part of our research group. Basically, the only person that helps us with research. God bless you. Anyway, so without further ado. I'm going to talk about Sir Victor Goddard. Robert Victor Goddard was born in 1897. The end. No, I'm just kidding. And educated at St. George's School in Harpenden. From there, he went to the Royal Naval Colleges. He served as a midshipman in World War II until joining the Royal Naval Air Force in 1915, where his duties included patrolling for submarines and reconnaissance flights over the Western Front. Brady, did you ever read the book All Quiet Over the Western Front?
2: Nope. Thought it was boring.
1: So how do you know it was boring if you didn't read it?
2: I read the Cliff Notes.
1: Ah, Cliff Notes. I, I used Spark notes in high school to get me to get me through. Anyway, in nineteen twenty one, Goddard began studying engineering at Jesus College, which I'm not sure I knew that existed in Cambridge. Did you know that? I got nothing. Okay. <laughs> And anyway, he studied at the Imperial College of London before returning to Cambridge in 1925 as an instructor in the university's air squadron. After graduating from Royal Naval Staff College in 1929, he commanded a bomber squadron in Iraq. He then returned to England in 1931 as chief instructor of the officer's engineering course. He was then at the staff college until 1935 when he was appointed deputy director of intelligence at the air ministry. A post held high until the outbreak of World War II. This man's been all over the place. He's super qualified.
2: Yes, he is super, super qualified and very old.
1: Or or, RIP. We might have to say RIP because I think he's, he's no longer with us.
2: Thank you for your service, sir.
1: Thank you for your service. In the winter of 1934, Goddard claimed to have had a time slip experience while flying over an airfield in Dren, Scotland. I love time slip stories, by the way. So previous in his time slip, Goddard flew from Andover, England to Edinburgh, Scotland in a Hawker Hart biplane. During his flight, he flew over an abandoned airfield in Drem and noticed the abandoned, dilapidated condition of the abandoned base. Plants had grown over the landing strips, cows were standing in the plane lot, and the hangars were falling apart. So obviously he's kind of sketched out, not really knowing what's going on.
2: I have time slips when I drink.
1: Yeah, I think we all do. A few days later, Goddard left Edinburgh for his trip back to Andover through the same route. Before flying over the abandoned airfield in Drem, he ran into a storm of yellow clouds. The rain, wind, and yellow clouds made Goddard disoriented. He increased his altitude in order to get above the clouds. While struggling to get control of his plane, the clouds unexpectedly broke and he could see the land again. And Goddard's own words, he says, That morning I was fast approaching those old, derelict airplane hangars, then used for barns at Drim. I climbed through the deluge of rain to the misty base of the continuous low cloud overhead. The hangars were darkly looming toward me only a quarter of a mile away. Then, suddenly, the area was bathed in in erythrial... Did I say that right? Uh, I think it's ethereal, light, whatever. Through the sun, and the sun was shining on a midsummer day. As I raced over the airfield boundary and along the fine of those four double hangars, I saw some surprising things. Evidently, as I saw it, the rain had recently stopped. The airfield, all unfenced, was evenly mown. No cattle or sheep were grazing. The tarmac around the hangars was wide and new. The hangars all had sound new roofs. And the doors of the first hangar were open, and five aircraft, all bright yellow, four of them biplanes, one a monoplane, were lined up on the tarmac. Mechanics in blue overalls were pushing out another monoplane. The men below were not interested in me as I sped over them, not more than fifty feet above the hangars, and flew out of the sunshine and into dark rain and mist again. I knew that I had been seeing things. I also knew that what I had seen was there. It was real. In 1938, Drim was rebuilt and reopened as a flying training school. What I had seen as I flew over and described to friends came to pass four years later in all its details. So, Goddard did not have time to process this peculiar information and make sense of everything as his plane flew over the airfield. Once he passed over the airfield, the storm had returned and he was again inside the yellow clouds. After a while, he was able to come out of the storm and land in his home base in Andover. He spoke of his experience to to some of his colleagues and some of his friends, but he was met with skepticism. Afraid of being ridiculed and putting his career at risk, he kept quiet about his experience for some years to come. I feel so bad for people that have things, you know, people that obviously are well-qualified and seem sound of mind. They have one thing that happens to them, and then everyone looks at them like they're crazy and doesn't believe them anymore.
2: Well, it's kind of a weird story to try and believe anyway. It is. But, all right. So, a few years later, Goddard um, eventually had the proof needed to convince himself that back in 1935, he had experienced a time slip. In 1939, the Drim Airfield reopened and became operational. Also, the RAF changed the color of its training planes to yellow and introduced a new monoplane, the Magister. Everything matched Goddard's time slip experience. Even the mechanics overalls had been updated to blue. It seemed that Goddard experienced a time slip, an unintentional journey in time. His story is retold in his 1975 book Flight Towards Reality. This was not Goddard's only experience with the paranormal. This incident took place in the Far East, just after the end of World War II. It began at a cocktail party given in his honor. It was it was, it was very fancy. It was a party he would never forget. The afternoon cocktail party.
1: Can I just say that I like day the way drinking. you say cocktail?
2: <laughs> day drinking. The afternoon cocktail party for Air Marshal Sir Victor Goddard took place in Shanghai in January of 1946. The war against Japan had ended five months earlier, and Goddard was transferring to a new assignment. At the party, Goddard overheard Captain Gerald Gladstone, commander of the Royal Navy Cruiser HMS Black Prince, talking about Goddard's death. Now, first of all, you're at a cocktail party given in his honor and you're talking about him being dead. So that's a weird thing. Yeah. But Goddard flashed a smile at the flustered officer and said, I'm not quite dead yet. What made you think I was? Gladstone hesitated before replying, But when he did, it was with grim conviction. He told Goddard of a vivid and horrifying dream he'd experienced the previous night. In the dream, Goddard and three British civilians were flying over a rocky shore off the coast of Japan. It was evening, and they were flying through a ghastly storm. They had just flown over mountains when their plane crashed. I watched it all happen, Gladstone emphatically confirmed. You were killed. Gladstone further stated that the crashed aircraft was an ordinary sort of Transport passenger plane, perhaps a Dakota. Later that evening, at a dinner in his honor, Goddard learned, to his surprise and shock, that his military flight would also be taking civilian passengers—something not usually done. There were three civilian passengers: the consul general, General, a journalist, and a young female stenographer. Two men and a woman. All two men and a woman.
1: Two men and a woman.
2: Yes, all (laughs) British exactly as reported in the dream, who would accompany him. Given the dream, it's easy to understand why Goddard was especially reluctant to allow the young woman to travel with him and face what he began to feel was certain death in a plane crash. Their plane was a Dakota transport, as also as indicated in the dream. It left Shanghai for Tokyo early the next morning. There was a terrible flight through the clouds, exactly as in the dream, some of it over the mountains of Japan, again exactly as in the dream. The Dakota captain was forced to crash land his plane in the early evening during a snowstorm. He crashed on the rocky, shingle shore on an island off the coast of Japan, again as in the dream, but this time with one vital difference. Everyone survived. In 1950, four years after the party, Goddard, still disturbed by the event, wrote an article about the incident for the Saturday Evening Post. The article, printed on May 26, 1951, was the first time the story became public. In 1954, Goddard's experience with Gladstone's dream was made into a British motion, motion picture, The Night My Number Came Up. Good Lord. Starring Michael Redgrave as Air Marshal Hardy.
1: I feel like we should watch that.
2: I don't think so. Although this is an entertaining film, the scriptwriter made significant changes in regard to the actual events that weakened the power and the significance of the true story. Well, that's not. Well, so the guy probably is R.I.P. by now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does sound like he had a bit of a a bit of a slip, and that is really— First of all, I b- I would be so aggravated at the guy talking about my death at my own cocktail party.
1: I would be a little annoyed by that. But did I ever tell you that I have dreams about things and they happen? Brandy, did you know that? I have magical powers. I've got the gift.
2: <laughs> you have a third eye.
1: I have a third eye. My unseen eye. Anyway, no, I— I freaked my mom out because before Heath Ledger died, he actually died my senior year of high school. I'm not going to tell you. Well, I guess I just gave away kind of my age to people. Anyway, Um, I had a dream that he came to me and told me that he died or that he was going to die. I don't remember all the details other than that, and I thought it was really strange, so I told my mom about it, especially considering I had no relationship. I had, had no idea who this man really was other than he was an actor, and I told my mom about it, and uh two days later we found out that he had died kind of that's it was a little weird it's a little weird brandy why would i have thought that
2: i'm just confused why heath ledger came to you of all people
1: because let's be honest i think heath ledger in another life probably was my husband so yeah
2: i don't know that that's it but (laughs) um (laughs) but anyway you and your third eye um but anyway, so that's the story of uh Sir Goddard. Sir Goddard, kind of a kind of a badass in his own right with his planes and whatnot and fighting in like every single war since the Civil War, evidently.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so he's a badass seer with his third eye. Yeah,
2: he well, he had a time slip, so he didn't have a he didn't have a third eye. He doesn't claim to know he didn't claim to know Heath Ledger. So,
1: <laughs> anyway. Uh well, do you want to <laughs> tell? Do you want to tell everybody about where they can uh, yeah. support us on Patreon if they like us enough to want us to keep going with this? Um, everybody, I apologize. Brandy's Brandy's having a time slip right now.
2: I am. It's I've been day drinking.
1: Um, you can find us
0: <laughs>
1: on Patreon.com slash Haunted Visions. <Yes>. Um, <laughs> she says yes in the background. Oh my goodness. Anyway, we're also coffee fueled right now. If that kid is obvious to anybody um you can also follow us on twitter at haunted visions you can look us up on instagram as well um we have a little helper of ours her name is caroline she posts a lot of stuff on there Um, if you'd like to send us your stories you can email to haunted visions podcast at gmail.com if you'd like to give us some feedback or you'd like to suggest A location or story or something that you'd like us to cover, you can also send those emails there or reach out to us on Haunted Visions podcast on Facebook and message us. We'd love for you to join our little Facebook group. Mm -hmm. We have a pretty supportive community of some people who like our, you know, spooky stuff, unexplained phenomena, things of that nature. Uh, You can also find us there on Haunted Visions, the private Facebook group. Also, so for today, for our ghostly section, we're we're not going to read. A story. We have another story coming up for you on episode seventeen that's a really deep story. um, that was submitted to us by one of our listeners. I hope that you come and tune in for that. But we're actually gonna talk about some things that have been happening to Brandy. And we did cover, I think, in a in a previous episode, we didn't go into too much detail, but some really weird, undeniable things have been happening here in Brandy's house. And I'm gonna turn the mic over to Brandy.
0: Finding your perfect home was hard.
2: First of all, Rachel, don't run off because you're part of this too, <laughs> which is so, so exciting. So anyway, I'm not a huge fan of the paranormal. I mean, I am. I just don't want to be – well, I'm very practical. I'm a very practical person. Anyway, so there's things that's been happening around here. My my grandmother died about a year ago, and she lived um, in the basement of my parents' house, uh, which – it's you know is an apartment. They essentially built her an apartment when they built this house for her. And so she died, and and some things have been going on. And we're trying to sell my house, and so I moved down here with my um, youngest son. My oldest son was already here at my parents', and I moved down in the basement. And you know a lot of my grandmother's things are still down there, and I don't want to remove them, and so. First of all, you know, my son, my older son, who is 18, he he claims that, you know, there's been a little girl that stands at the end of his bed and chit chats with him and things like that, um, which with him it's just it's hard telling if it's if it's a dream, if it's not a dream, whatever, because, you know, he's a weirdo. But um, in the basement, uh, a lot of my grandmother's things are still there. We have the Judgy Jesus painting. Which um, sits above the fireplace. You have
1: to give more than just that judgy Jesus, de- judgy Jesus detail and explain that.
2: The judgy Jesus painting uh, sits over the fireplace and its eyes follow you wherever you go. Uh, I can cool. take a picture of it and we can put it on the web on the Facebook page.
1: It's just one of those old timey photos, yeah. That the eyes just follow you everywhere. It, it is. It's a little creepy. It doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy like Jesus is supposed to make you feel. It makes you feel yes. terrible about yourself. Yes
2: you are doing bad things. But also my grandmother um, had a clock uh in the basement and it was just a little it's a Thomas kincaid clock and it um it kind of starts and finishes it's it it chimes it does different things but it does it all on its own. There's no consistency to it. Um the hands move but they've got a it's got a little pendulum at the bottom that doesn't swing like it's supposed to and and uh, you know I always kind of joked cuz it'll it'll go sometimes it'll go for days and then it'll stop and it'll go and I always kind of figured it was my grandmother not being very happy with me for some transgression that I'm sure I did to one of my children. But so a couple weeks ago, Rachel was here in in the house, and um, my son's girlfriend, Caroline, who helps us out on the, on the show with the social media stuff, she was here as well, and uh, we decided it was a good idea to bust out the Ouija board just because, you know, it's always a good idea.
1: And before everyone starts shaking their head, we did make sure to open it properly and close it properly and use a white candle. S- pretend that we are surrounded by a white light all that jazz. So don't don't send me hate mail and tell me how how awful I am.
2: I don't I don't think you would get hate mail over that, but anyway. I hope not. So anyway, so I have this Ouija board and it is a um a, it's a Parker Brothers Ouija board. It's not like it came from the old country. It's not like it's made of wood or possessed or anything of that nature. It's a Parker Brothers board that somehow has come into my possession and I've just had for years and years. So we, uh I, of course, because I am a big baby, refuse to touch the, what's that thing called? The, the
1: planchette?
2: Yes, the planchette. <laughs>
1: Say it fancy, planchette.
2: No, no. no. Anyway, I refuse to touch it because I'm a huge baby, but. Caroline and and uh, and Rachel did it. We got a lot white candles. Yeah, we got the white candles out and we turned off all the lights and it was um it was kind of a it was kind of an odd odd situation. Oh. We we opened it up and you know on the interwebs mm-hmm. it says you know it says you could be fifteen or twenty minutes before you hear from anybody. It could be you know whatever. And of course I don't think we're going to hear from anybody because this is a children's toy that somebody's picked up at Target you know, wherever and. Um, so it was like right away, wasn't it? We started getting people.
1: It, yeah, it was. And the thing is, is I knew I wasn't pushing it around. And I'm a little bit skeptical about that kind of stuff, too. But I had suggested to Brandy to get a notebook and a pen just in case somebody did decide to come through so we could write down whatever might have whatever message was passed along. And Caroline is kind of skeptical about that stuff, too. So honestly, we kind of – I don't even know why we decided to sit down and do it. We just – too many things have been happening. And before I dive in and tell you exactly what was said and what came through the board, I think Brandy should also fill you in about what happened to her oldest son, Jake, that also is staying here.
2: I told him about the chick in his room. Did you? Yeah.
1: Oh, my goodness. So it just weird, weird shit's happening. So anyway, we sit down. Caroline and I are asking questions. We said, you know, how many spirits are here? Nothing really came through for just a few minutes. And all of a sudden, we felt... This honestly kind of felt f- it felt forceful. I knew I wasn't moving it and we were barely touching it. And I saw her hands just gingerly on the planchette. And it moved to, I think, seven, seven or eight spirits were in the room, which freaked us out a little bit. Because if anybody would have come through, we thought it would have been Brandy's grandmother. It was
2: very crowded in the basement.
1: And what's also odd is, you know, it could have been our mindset, too. I'm open to other theories about this, but it felt... Like, you could cut the tension in the room with a knife. I mean, it just, it really felt like there were people around us. I mean, it's, it's the the best way to describe it is if you close your eyes in a crowded room. It feel, you feel the bodies in the room. It's, it was really weird. So anyway, we started asking questions. Well, I didn't know Brandy's middle name. I'd never, since knowing her, bothered to ask. She doesn't know my middle name either. So we asked you know, to to say who's here. And all of a sudden, V-E-N-N-A pops up on the board. That's Brandy's middle name, and that was also her grandmother's name. So that pops up. Not the
2: grandmother that lived in the basement. Old gra- uh, grandmother I'd never met.
1: And was she wasn't very close to, I don't think. Mm-mm. So that popped up, which Caroline and I didn't know what that meant. And immediately, Brandy had the oh-my-God face, jaw dropped, completely freaked out. And we started asking more questions. Well, Caroline's father has passed a few years back now, and so is my grandmother. Well, I close my eyes, and um, Caroline asks, who else is here? And while my eyes are closed, and Brandy and Caroline witnessed this, it starts spelling out my grandmother Jean's name. And her actual first name was Margaret, but she went by Jean in life. And she's been gone for almost five years now, and her name is spelled J-E-A-N-N-E. Well, as Caroline was reading out J-E-A, which, with my eyes closed, even my subconscious, I don't think there would have been a way for me to start spelling that out. And I open my eyes as it goes to an N, and I freak out thinking, oh my gosh, my grandma's here. So just more answers to our questions came through that not everybody would have known. Some other questions were answered, and eventually a word came through saying the clock. and I. We believe that that was grandma, um, grandma, not my grandma, Brandy's grandmother coming through because she's upset about the clock because no one has fixed it. So eventually Brandy had to have a conversation with her mother about getting the clock fixed because apparently it upsets Brandy's grandmother.
2: Yeah, and I'm out on having an angry spirit down there. So uh, I haven't talked to her since then because we tried to fix the clock and the clock won't fix. But I had asked her, I said, are you messing with the clock? Are you messing with me? And she said no, um, and then she said, you know, fix it. So she wasn't, um, you know, she wanted her clock fixed, which is fine. We did try and fix. It. We put new batteries in it. We did all this other stuff, and and it's not being fixed. So I'm not sure exactly how happy she's going to be. But she, it was very nice. It was a nice visit. She said she was happy. She said she was. She was whatever. She. It was just. It was a. It, she was happy that we were in the basement she was I mean it was just it was an odd conversation, and it's one of those things that like so much stuff happens, and I am supposed to be writing things down. I was not a good writer because I would just sit there and just watch and just i couldn't dobsmack. i yeah I couldn't really bring myself so I would write things down really quick and i the board i look at the uh I look at the paper now and the notebook now, and it's there's just stuff everywhere, but I did get to talk to my grandma Venna um which is interesting because I didn't know her in life and she was um murdered when my dad was probably a senior in high school um and it's an unsolved mystery up in Dayton it's a so that was that was kind of an interesting an interesting thing um but yeah it was and then we closed we closed the board out cuz it was like finally we just we couldn't do any more like it was just it was exhausting it, w- it was
1: i mean it felt like we started and it felt like we'd only be going for maybe 10 minutes because we were getting so many messages and so much activity. Caroline was a little freaked out. She wanted to stop. I started getting cold chills. I started feeling uneasy, even though none of the messages that came through mm-hmm. seemed malicious in any sense of the word. It still freaked me out a little bit. So we eventually went to close it down, and we looked, and we'd been doing that for almost two hours. Yeah, It yeah. just sucked us in, I guess.
2: Well, and then the other thing that I noticed, too, was every once in a while we would ask how many people were there now. Keep in mind, we were doing this in the basement. It's subterranean. Um, none of the windows were open because it's you know January, and we had um and we had a fire going actually in the fireplace. We were but right next to it. yeah, I was sitting right next to it, and all of a sudden um, the candles would flicker, and you'd feel like a cold breeze. You'd get cold chills, um, and we kind of think that that was when people were coming and going out of the room, um, because then you'd ask, and it would be a different number, either higher or lower or whatever. Right,
1: I'd say how many spirits are in the room, and I think at one point it jumped down to two or three. Mm-hmm. When originally it started off at seven or eight, so I'm not sure who all those other people were. <laughs> I don't know if they're just, hey, what's going on over here? You got to wonder in the afterlife. Yeah. Look is this lose. yeah, is this is this a party? Let's let's go sit around. Let's go watch.
2: Yeah, and yeah. So, uh, like I said, it was it was a weird thing. The candles would the candles would flicker, and you get this big chill and. Um, it was bizarre because, like I said, we're subterranean down there. There's no windows open, and the fire's going, and all of a sudden you get a chill. It's just a weird.
1: And we were dressed up too. We were in we were in comfortable clothes. We were in hoodies. I mean, there honestly, we should have been really hot because that yeah. fireplace gets hot. So to to get cold chills and stuff, it I have no explanation for the wind. That's yeah. I just don't. Period.
2: And it was just a really odd um, experience. So
1: we want to do it again, though. We we do. Um, yeah, ish.
2: Um, but ish. we made it. <laughs> But we, you know, we made sure we closed down the board. And then um, the rest of the night, Rachel actually fell asleep on my couch. And you want to talk about
1: that? Oh, my goodness. So, yes, I fell asleep on the couch. And it's a really comfortable couch. I was, you know, comfortable, reclined. After the, um, Caroline left and we had closed down the Ruiji board, um, Brandy and I were sitting around, honestly, just hanging out, talking, watching TV. And it was so late, I just fell asleep. So she turned off the fireplace and shut down the TV and went to bed at some point because I woke up and the basement was pitch dark. So normally that wouldn't bother me, but I kept waking up when I'd hear the grandfather clock chime upstairs. Now I'm actually a pretty heavy sleeper, so I'm not sure why that bothered me so much. But there were a few times that I felt, the only way I can describe it is if you feel someone is staring at you and you feel eyes in the back of your head. Except I felt someone was in my face staring at me and I did not feel necessarily welcome. I felt that someone was curious about me and was staring at me. And I barely slipped open my eyes because I honestly this almost like this primal fear took over and I was scared to open my eyes and I kind of peek. And of course, there's no one there. So I'm trying to tell myself, you know, it's just a dark basement. I've got myself psyched out because, you know, we had that creepy experience with the Ouija board a few hours ago. I'm fine. It's just an unfamiliar basement. I'm fine. And I kept feeling that I would fall back into a deep sleep and then I'd wake up again and I would feel like someone was in my face staring at me, wanting me to wake up. And honestly, it was terrifying. I don't think I slept maybe three or four hours that night.
2: It was probably Sweet D wanting to know what the hell you were doing in her basement. Probably. She don't know you.
1: Mm -hmm. So that was kind of weird. And Brandy is a pretty heavy sleeper too and she felt didn't you say you felt the same thing that you would she would wake up in the other room where I was not present with her door closed and feel like someone or something was in her room as well so again it could have been our subconscious messing with that I have a hard time believing it since you know I experienced that and I remember what it felt like and I was so terrified at the time but then again you know, the skeptical side of us, we keep trying to think about what it could have really been. And we talk about that because we still can't wrap our minds around what happened.
2: Yeah, it was a really weird thing, and so now, you know, my basement is a mess. <laughs>
1: it's
2: crowded, crowded place down there. It is. But anyway, so that's our that's our ghastly ghost story. Um, that happened to us. If you have anything, again, you can uh send us a message uh at the Haunted Vision at Haunted Visions podcast at com, or on uh over facebook messenger uh we can keep your name out of it no problem uh but let us know if you guys have experienced anything like that
1: all right that's it guys i hope that you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time sleep tight and don't let the ghosties
0: bite